Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which looks at the stories behind the pages of the best new food books on the shelves. It's about linking the thinking about what we eat and who we are to create a deeper connection with food. And this week we're with the queen of street food, Grace Regan, whose Spicebox plant-based curry house and now book is the result of an extraordinary journey from Silicon Valley to Walthamstow via off-road India. She's a powerhouse of a businesswoman, a young British foodie finalist, a Red Magazine Woman of the Year, and she's still only just 30. I was on a, a what's called a um, startup accelerator. So, you know, there are like 50 companies around me, all with these ideas. We're all, we've all got investment. We're all trying to grow our companies. And I'm just thinking, does the world need, you know, another Airbnb for something or an Uber for something? It's just like, it feels like people were creating problems that didn't exist to solve them. I asked her to conjure up the early morning setup of the Spicebox street food stall. The first thing to say is that I would have spent the the morning, you know, unloading my van, setting up the gazebo, building a kitchen in a gazebo from scratch, getting the barbecue lit, the food heated up, briefing my team on the day, and then around 11, 11.30, the first kind of hungry customers turn up and um, you start serving them and then suddenly the rush comes and you've got a really long queue and you're trying to get the food out as quickly as is humanly possible whilst also like taking that time to engage with your customers, talk to them, there'll be regulars there, um, giving everyone the best experience possible and then suddenly before you know it, everyone's back at their desk, it's quiet and it's time to pack down, which is... (laughs) always the worst part of the day you often have to you know there's one water point for all the traders you have to fill up your washing up bucket I often used to do the washing up I'd sit at the back of the the stool washing up in freezing cold water while the team kind of pack the kitchen and the gazebo away then it goes into the van and you're done for the day but it is um it is exactly as you say isn't it is that like high pressure high intensity and all the other stall holders around you are doing the same thing it's like that is that where the buzz comes from why why is it such an exciting thing for the customers and the stall holders i think it is that like camaraderie between traders is is really special i i cannot explain how helpful the other traders were in the early days I learned like everything I knew from them and they were so willing to share their knowledge. Um, it's an interesting way of life and it's, you know, I think it exists slightly outside the system and everyone's got their own backstory to like what made them go into street food and do what they're doing. There's so much passion for it. If you didn't have passion, you couldn't do it because it's such a hard job. And I think that really feeds off into like the customers as well and they can feel that and then also I think for the customers you know if you've been for example we used to do a a market like in Canary Wharf and you know these people would have been at their desk some of them since like 5 a.m um and their highlight of the day was coming out to kind of have a chat with us and eat our food it's a little bit like running away with the circus isn't it (laughs) yes it's exactly that (laughs) Especially when it comes to festival season. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same with thing with festivals and the smells in the air and, and, and you know, just sort of sharing that space with, with other stall holders and customers. And, and each one of you 
exploring different new ideas and and that's really where spice box comes in isn't it it's you know you come with the old-fashioned curry house idea but then you're giving it this plant-based this vegan treatment and everybody wants to know how to tandoora jackfruit everybody wants to know what to do with a collie steak so you're coming with new ideas but the, the air is filled with the smells of something we actually do know cummins corianders how much time do you get to actually tell people what to do with these ingredients that they want to know so much more about well at the beginning i think i mean it's so dependent because you're with street food there'll be some days and events where you don't have a minute to stop for a breath because you've just got to serve that long queue of people and then there'd be days where it'd be really rainy and quiet and miserable and you've got more time to like really talk your customers and engage with them and you know it's at those moments where people will ask more questions about you know where did the inspiration come from what exactly is in this dish how do you cook it um so yeah and those are the times where you can really you know take some time to talk through your food with people which is obviously the most exciting thing and then have it getting to the you know opening stopping street food opening the curry house and obviously going through the process of writing this book that's been the real kind when I've really been able to kind of step back and really explain kind of yeah the inspiration behind Spicebox yeah and we'll go into the book and and the the, where the recipes come from in, in a second but you know what's really interesting about you is that you haven't stopped I mean how old are you now? I'm 30 now. (laughs) And you've already been nominated as a Young British Foodies Street Food finalist. Right at the beginning of 2016, you are one of the most successful women under 30. I mean, you haven't stopped. And you've been to Silicon Valley and back. I mean, where on earth do you get your energy from? (laughs) Oh, it's drive, really, isn't it? It's drive. Well, yeah, but it requires a lot of energy. It is drive. I've always been... I've always had quite a strong vision of, you know, just doing something that's interesting with my life. And, you know, from from like early school days, I'd kind of daydreamed about having my own business and doing my own thing. And I think for me, it's about I get really kind of passionate about things and I just have this kind of tunnel vision that I want to pursue it and do it. And I'm so naive and optimistic and I don't like starting spice box I just didn't think about any of the practicalities of it I just had this idea and I just ran with it and obviously you get to a point you know you stumble and you realize like my god I've taken this on you know when you're in a kitchen by yourself prepping a curry for a thousand people and you just don't know how you're going to get through the day um (laughs) But yeah, if I knew what it involved, then I would have been probably slightly more hesitant about starting. But yeah, I just get really excited about things. Yeah, I I love the fact that there's a lot of chefs are either dyslexic, so big vision people, super, super creatives, or they're English literature graduates. (laughs) Storytellers, you're one of those, aren't you? (laughs) I am, yeah, yeah. While you were dreaming, I wonder if you were kind of telling this story and your food is full of stories let's go into some of the food moments because it was all inspired by great aunt dolly 
And, you know, I speak to a lot of people who say then they came to university uh, from the homeland, the, the old country, and then they have this aching soul. They don't know what it is. And they speak to their mom or their grandma and they realise it's the food from home. So they start f- feeding their friends and soon they start doing pop ups and then they've got their first book. I mean, there are loads of people with that story. That was great Aunt Dolly's story. Take out the university bit. But that's basically her story, isn't it? Well, yeah, she came, she moved to the UK pretty late in her life, to be honest, like into her kind of 50s, 60s, I think. Um, And yeah, she hadn't really cooked living in India and obviously surrounded by amazing food and got to the UK, was living in Marlow, kind of suburban England. And yeah, she, she, she was craving... Um, the food of India that she grew up eating and then, yeah, learnt to cook. So she would have had servants in India cooking um, Yeah, I her. think she had, she had, yeah, a cook cooking. I mean, it was, she grew, my great uncle was in the military, so they lived quite a kind of, you know, they moved around and they were living in that kind of military environment. So, yeah, I yeah. think they had some sort of cook, yeah. Yeah, so that sort of spirit of it, of invention and recognition and for food to actually mean something to her you were witnessing you were very young at the time but that must have rubbed off the excitement and that creativity and 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 meaning yeah absolutely like I mean I say in the book I just have such strong memories of going to to visit her and Uncle P when I was younger and it just food dish after dish would come out and it was just so, so exciting to me to, you know, it's the first time that I was, I was really quite young. So it was before I'd kind of go out to eat at curry houses with my parents, which is also a massive source of inspiration for, for Spice Box. Um, but yeah, it was the first time I was eating dal, samosas, pilaus, like all of these dishes. And just the smell of her house is such a strong, strong memory to me. And yeah, it is really, you know, Dolly is a huge inspiration to me. She's also an incredible women in, in general with a huge personality and um yeah I her food is delicious and I'm so grateful to have grown up eating it so as a, as a white British woman with an Indian background you've bumped into the whole story of cultural appropriation as you bring this book out absolutely how, how, and you talk about Indian inspired you talk about your inspiration coming from the British curry houses as well but then tempered and really underscored by your Indian heritage but also your your trips around India and we're going to go there in a, in a few minutes with your with your food moments what, what do you think about cultural appropriation I think it's an incredibly important topic that I um I think it's I have a responsibility to to address it up front which I have done in the book and it's also a topic that I am on a continuous journey of learning with um you know, the process of writing this book and before that, even just setting up Spicebox, I was aware that I was treading incredibly sensitive ground. And I do think it's a real issue. And the most important thing is that there is a dialogue about it and it's acknowledged. And for me, it's about listening and learning and understanding. You know, I've made many mistakes in the past and I will continue to make mistakes. I think it's important that I acknowledge those um, I apologise when I have caused offence and I'm just incredibly careful to stick, you know, to to what I do, which is, you know, it's a celebration of British Indian restaurant food, 
curry houses. And then also, you know, it is a celebration of the food that I ate growing up as a result of my great aunt being being Indian. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's great that it's becoming a more and more talked about topic. And I think we've all got learning and improving to do around it. I think that it's important that it doesn't get to the point where using cuisines from different cultures and drawing inspiration from different cultures doesn't become a, a topic that's completely cut off. I just think it's important that people like myself are really educated on where to draw those lines and not to overstep boundaries. And like I've said, I am never going to be an authority on Indian cuisine. Um, I'm a student. I'm inspired. I have a deep love and respect for India, its culture and its people. And um, yeah, I'm just going to stick to doing what, what I know, which is plant-based curry house food so your second food moment is about one of those trips to india um and staying with a family on a small spice plantation in the jungle on the konkan coast in western india take us there yeah yeah that was so so i try and visit india every year obviously that's been slightly difficult recently and um you know a large part of my trips is traveling around and staying with families because to me that's the best way to really get to know the cuisine of of different regions and um western that western indian coast so it's probably about an hour south of of mumbai on the train um it's called the konkan coast and i i hadn't been there before and i mean it goes without saying india is a vast country and the cuisine is incredibly regional so every kind of state you go to and then town or village or city within that state, the, the food, it's got such a strong food identity. And um, I was staying with an amazing family um, on the Konkan coast. And every time I, I go and stay, I explain what I do for a living and ask if it might be OK if I can help with any of the cooking. And often people are quite kind of taken aback because usually if you're a tourist, you kind of want to sit back and not do the work. Yeah. But um they were incredibly generous and, and let me go into the kitchen. And, you know, the women in that kitchen were, it was all the family and they were preparing the, they had maybe three guests staying at their um, homestay and they were preparing the food all day for this delicious meal that we'd be having in the evening. And I just sat in the kitchen all day with them, you know, we're kind of chatting away. They didn't speak much English, but we were communicating and they were showing me you know, all the different dishes they were cooking. And it was really interesting because it was, a lot of them were dishes that I'd just never eaten before in India or come across. And one of them was this peanut curry. Um, And I I now know, having kind of looked into it, that various regions have, you know, their own peanut curries and with similar flavour profiles. But this one was, yeah, had that kind of sourness from, from tamarind, creaminess from the peanuts. There was also coconut in there. And the flavour profile is something that I would have, you know, naively just associated more with, you know, kind of maybe a a Thai curry. Um, But it was so interesting, yeah, to kind of taste those flavours in the context of Indian food and and Indian spicing. And it was so delicious. It was one of the nicest things I've ever eaten. And so, yeah, that's where this kind of the, the sweet potato and spinach peanut curry in the book um, kind of pays homage to that. Obviously, it's it's definitely not a true, authentic version of that. I've put my spin on it, but um, it's delicious. 
and so you've done the same with Kerala, uh, the Carolan beetroot toran. Uh, take yeah. us, to, take us to the backwaters of Kerala, please. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's one of my place. dreams. I love it. I've actually been? given up flying now. Oh no! Well, you'll have to get a, a train and boat, or yeah. I mean, it's it's a really stunning place. So, so this particular recipe, I'd um, I'd be trying around India for a while, and I'd been really ill. I've been kind of living off rice water, which is what you eat when you have a very bad stomach bug. And I was just craving some some normal, proper food. And I arrived at this, this family's house in Kerala and I was feeling a lot better and sat down with my, with my boyfriend at the table and they started to bring out, you know, dish after dish. And again, referring back to you know, every region, state of India, the Queen scene is so different. Kerala has such a distinctive cuisine. It's one of my personal favourites. I absolutely love it. And um, they they have a dish called a thoran, which, you know, has lots of different vegetables, usually depending on what's on season. And But essentially it has like a temper of kind of mustard seeds, grated coconut, curry leaves, um, green chilli. And then it's kind of almost, they kind of saute the veg in those, in that, tempered spice mix and this dish was with beetroot grated beetroot and it arrived on the table and I knew I knew at that point I was ready to eat some (laughs) some normal food and again just the first bite it's such a strong memory to me it was so delicious and it was probably it was quite it was an earlier trip so it's quite a long time ago and it was it was around the time that I was really getting to kind of know Carolyn food a, a bit more and one of the kind of first early Thoran dishes I'd eaten. And um, yeah, I remember just trying to dissect it, like pull it apart on my plate and work out what was in it. Um, and then since then, I'd kind of, you know, I'd done a bit more cooking with um, some kind of Carolyn home cooks and had had learned the, you know, the kind of building blocks of a Thoran. And this kind of dish is is one that I cook at home very regularly because it is, again, it's, you know, often it, what I'm making is not going to be an authentic Thoran, mainly because of what I have to hand um, when at home. But I will always try and recreate that kind of flavour profile. And it's such a good way to use seasonal veg um, if you want to kind of, you know, add some amazing spicing to them and cook them really simply. Um, and obviously beetroots are very plentiful in the UK yeah. during the winter. Um, so it's one that I find myself cooking a lot when I'm at home. I've got lots of beetroots to hand. With this particular dish, fresh coconut, green chilies, curry leaves and spices like mustard seeds and turmeric. I mean, these, if you can master this with beetroot and, and presumably it would work with sweet potato as well, would it? Yeah, it would. It would work. You know, almost I do a lot of thorans with cabbage. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's almost any veg. A cauliflower. Yeah. yeah, that would that would really work as, as well, wouldn't it? So when you've mastered this mix of spices, you can basically use whatever you see at the market stall. Yeah, you can just and pick it up and start I, playing with it. Yeah, and that's what I'm really about. Like, yeah, I think Indian cuisine and cooking with spices is just such a good way to bring the best out of vegetables. And the way that I cook is I try and cook with, you know, what I've got to hand, what's in season, what's local, and yeah, once you've got the kind of the basic principles of cooking with spices and what spices work well together and the kind of technique to cook them, 
swapping virgin and out is is that's where it gets exciting because you can yeah. really start to experiment but the spices just work to bring out that flavor and for me that's why um you know indian food is is so incredible and delicious because um it's simple it's like a, a simple but like ingenious use of spices can just bring the best out in in vegetables yeah now you've been traveling to india for well most of your life haven't you and in, as a grown-up you've been going literally every year but one of the big moments in in your career very early on you went to california you went to silicon valley to work on a startup you won some funding to go there to to kind of perfect your your craft and at that time it was tech so that was 2015. You were seeing the future. I mean, I went to California in, in 2016 and I thought I'd stepped into a different planet. Tell us what you saw in food. So I went to California, a vegetarian. I'd tried to go vegan in the UK a couple of years before and found it so hard and, you know, quite depressing. <laughs> and I made a pact with my business partner at the time, Tagar. We said we'd both tried to do the vegan thing as soon as we got to California because apparently it was easier out there. And I cannot explain how much kind of energy and vibrancy there was in the vegan food scene at that time. So I was living on the outskirts of um, San Francisco. We visited LA quite a lot. Like we'd drive down there for the weekends. Um, And it was so incredibly exciting to, to go to all these restaurants that was serving the most incredible vegan food. And it, yeah, all the shops, the farmer's markets, the food markets, it just felt like this this whole wave, which it was, like a kind of sea change in, in food. And, you know, we looked around and we, we said, there's just no way this isn't going to catch on in the yeah. UK. Like, this is what's going to happen. And then obviously, as we became vegan, we did some more reading and learning about it. And you know, at that time you get with young kind of excitement and passion. You're just like, this is a no brainer. I'm never going back. So at the same time, I was really losing interest and and passion and drive for for what I was working on. Silicon Valley is a really strange place. Um, I learned a lot while I was out there and it was an incredibly exciting time to be there. But for me, just something wasn't sitting quite right. What was that, Grace? Because at that time, Silicon Valley was all about Facebook and Uber and Airbnb and all these kind of rather faceless, brilliant, but faceless tech startups that are a little bit soulless. Did it feel like that? What, what yeah. Was that what it was for you? It was, I think, you know, there's this obsession with scale, like scalability in Silicon Valley and you know, they throw a lot of ideas at the wall and maybe like one in a thousand will stick. Um, And a lot of money gets pumped into these ideas. And there's a lot of kind of ego flying around and just like money, like so much money just being pumped into these things. And I'm looking around thinking, you know, I was on a, a what's called a Um, startup accelerator so you know there are like 50 companies around me all with these ideas we're all we've all got investment we're all trying to grow our companies and I'm just thinking does the world need you know another Airbnb for something or an Uber for something it's just like feels like people were creating problems that didn't exist to solve them and raising vast amounts of money to, to do this um and I just it just 
I just thought like, I just didn't think it was right. Like, I think there's amazing stuff going on in Silicon Valley. I think the tech world's really interesting and I feel so fortunate to have like, you know, learned a bit about that. But to me, it's just, I didn't feel like what I was working on personally had enough of a mission. Like, I didn't think it was going to create like enough positive change. And at the same time, I'd just become vegan and I was learning more and more about like the positive benefits of you know, not everyone turning vegan, but us eating more vegetables, essentially. Um, And, you know, I was craving that. I was craving doing something with, like, you know, my hands, like, being creative, making a product and actually just selling it, like, with a simple business model, not just, like, being, like, we're going to figure out how to make money at scale, um, but for now we have no idea. (laughs) So, like, all these elements came together. Yeah, and I hear this from so many people who are small producers who give up big jobs in advertising or whatever just to get their hands on a product and talk to people about it and taste it and have the smell all around them of what they're producing. It's real. So you took your entrepreneurial spirit and you brought it back to Britain and that's where your street um, stall came from. And your fourth food moment to kind of illustrate that, the collie steaks, it's sort of where it's bringing yeah. California, that vegan, that, that fun, that new idea together with what you'd really learned and absorbed from Great Aunt Dolly and your trips to India and put it on the streets. Um, encouraged by Curb, really important that we talk about Curb. You know, it is one of those entrepreneurial uh, startups that, that is there to support street food to a millennial crowd to get that buzz and its promotion, its advertising and its, you know, it's, it's really buzzy and fun. Tell us about the Tandoori Collis Steaks on the street with Coriander Chutney in the context of that Curb culture. So you're right, Collie Steaks was, was something that I'd eaten and seen in California and thought was absolutely delicious. I mean, they've since become a bit of a cliche <laughs> of vegan food since I'm an Esther them. <laughs> but I promise you then they were, you know, they were cool, new and innovative. And, you know, the most important thing, delicious. And um, I, I'd rubbed them with a kind of tandoori spice rub and then cook, was one, and cooked them on charcoal to give that kind of smoky tandoori flavor um and i kind of developed it at home and bought what's called a prakti charcoal grill which is a tiny metal cube um, that you put charcoal in the middle and then it's got a tiny metal rack on top and i could do one collie steak at a time for some reason i thought that would be enough um to launch my street food store with um and so yeah curb so i i, I got introduced to curb and, you know, it was really quite hard to get into Curb at the time. Street food was really taking off in London and Curb were kind of the, the epicentre of it. But luckily they were they were looking for a, another vegan food store. So they asked me to do a market on South Bank called um, Alchemy. It's part of the Alchemy Festival, which is like um, South Bank Centre Festival of South Asia. And um, so we, so I set up, so I said yes, obviously, I had about two weeks to get my store ready. And before then, I'd just been trading once a week at Druid Street Market with like one trestle table and it wasn't like hugely busy. So in two weeks, I had to kind of get my store together, create a brand, hire a team and get ready for two weeks straight of trading at a really busy market and um, thought my practice would be enough for the, the collie sticks, having no idea like how many people would be there. And so started trading at Alchemy and I think kind of word spread a bit about these collie steaks because, you know, it was still, it was London 2016, 
no one had really tried them before. Um, and then suddenly we're getting these huge queues and loads of people were ordering the collie steak, which I hadn't anticipated. And so we were having to cook these raw collie steaks on this practi. And it took about, probably on average, about four minutes per collie steak. Um, and the queues just built up and it was absolute nightmare. And I remember Ollie, one of the guys who worked for Curb, came up and he was like, you might want to get a bigger barbecue. <laughs> um, but it was like, it was so fun. It was stressful. But that energy and like having people come back and be like, my God, that was one of the nicest things I've ever eaten. We served it with this really fresh coriander chutney. The recipes for both of these are in the book. And it's just that combination of the fresh kind of citrusy, um, slightly spicy coriander chutney with this charcoal smoky cauliflower is just it's delicious i love it so much i cook it in the summer a lot did it do it for you that that summer on the south bank after silicon valley did 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 it feel like yeah this is exactly what i needed yeah it felt incredibly exciting and so different to what i was doing it was absolutely exhausting like i don't think i've ever worked that hard but like yeah it was such a good kind of you know learning curve and i learned how to run a food business yeah. and now you've got a restaurant and i've got a restaurant and yeah. spreading out to commuter towns hopefully we're going to be opening a couple more curry houses quite soon we're actually looking now more in london neighborhoods like walthamstow where we are um but yeah the goal is to have lots of curry houses across the uk feeding lots of people delicious plant-based food employing lots of people hopefully um so yeah that's the dream Thanks for listening. You can buy Spice Box by Grace Regan and all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my other news. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week when I'm honouring the legacy of the great, late Anthony Bourdain with his co-author, Laurie Woolliver. 